Hello travelers of the fifth dimension, I'm Vienna and I'm Eric. And this is That's Not Fair, a queer Twilight Zone podcast where two queers watch through all of the Twilight Zone franchise and desperately try to use our literature degrees for something. Right, we are both feeling awful. <laughs> but what we else is still new? come to you with a new episode of the podcast. Yes. Uh, okay, before we go to how do's, um, I'd like to say that I've made a couple of mistakes. Mm. Uh, Editorials. Indeed. How. Uh, What's it called in house, housework? No. What do other podcasts call it? I don't fucking know. Uh, newspapers called like corrections. Some corrections. Uh, corrections. Anywho, uh, I last time I called the artist. Last time I called the artist. Uh, our intro music is from Loyal to Freak, but. Uh, their actual name is Loyal to Freak Music. Ah. So, yes. Yes. And this is slightly more embarrassing because <laughs> I've used the Twilight Zone Companion in every uh, episode so far and will probably use it for every episode of the original series. As have I, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a call to author... Um, or I've, uh, what's, what's his first name? So I've only written down the, like, I don't know his first name either. Um, Mark Scott. Uh, I've called him Mark Scott Zerky, but he's in fact Zikri. Ah. Not sure if that's how it's pronounced, but, um, how I've pronounced it or written in my notes, it's it has been Z I R C E E. Alright. What it's actually supposed to be is Z I C R E E. Zikri. Alright. Yeah, so <laughs> those are my mistakes. Yes. Um and just like all my life mistakes, I own them, and there are many. <laughs> so, anyhow, um, how are you, Eri? I am in psychological warfare with my cat. At the moment, we are playing mind games because I'm trying to have her switch wet foods, and she is winning. Um, I have thrown away so much food right now. I put literally a teaspoon of the new food at the bottom of the old food. She won't even taste it. She'll smell it mm. and she'll walk away. And then the next morning I will throw it away and she will scream and scream and scream. I think she's literally going to starve to death just to spite me. She's gonna do it. She's gonna win. Yeah, cats are really bad at like change like that yeah especially i mean i need to I try like another one that she has been eating before maybe yeah. that'll work or something I have you no fed the stuff that have you have you fed her stuff that's like 
stuff that has sugar in it? Yeah, that's the problem. See, when I got her from the family, uh, when I adopted her, she was on like sugary stuff because they got it for free. And then mm. I uh, changed it to like a better food and she ate that for months and months and months. And then she wouldn't eat that anymore. So I kind of switched her back, which was the mistake. Yeah. Because she yeah. won. Um, <laughs> yeah, I should never do that because the yeah. sugary stuff is really bad for them. Yeah, like I tried, yeah. um, I tried so many foods after the one that she refused to eat anymore for some fucking reason after like four months. Um, and she wouldn't touch any of it, even when I did the whole teaspoon thing. Forgot to put on um, the timer, by the way. Oh, well. Um, this is the first episode we're using a timer. <laughs> I forgot to put it on. Oh, I'm well. a good producer. Yes. Excellent producing. But yeah, I need to. It's, it's, I'm being bested by a four kilogram cat. So that's mm. something that's going on with me. Well, <laughs> how are you? Well, I finished a short story mm. and I got so excited after it that I couldn't really function. Um, I will mention that I might have a like uh, bipolar disorder. So, you know, it might be that I it kind of triggered a manic episode oh, yeah. with me. But yeah, it was just like I couldn't do anything for several hours and even after that I've had several days that have been a bit I've been more irritable and yeah. also more like excited about stuff mm. can't just uh, sit still and that kind of stuff oh, yeah. so you know it's fun but it's also not fun yeah. but yeah I yeah. really hope that this short story gets picked up by Places I'm gonna offer it to a few, at least Clark's World, and I need to check because in my bookmarks there's a place where uh, Orson Scott Card, mm. his um, magazine is, and I don't want to support that um, bastard any, <laughs> any at all. So you know, um, but if I can't get it published anywhere, uh, I will just. I'll make it into a zine, so. What would be like your dream place to have it published? I don't know, Clark's World probably. Ooh. Just like that's the first one I think of. But yeah. at the same time, I have so many ideas for the zine. Yeah. But it would be nice to just get it published and be like, you know, it's not self-published. I got someone else to like. Yeah, someone else looked sure, at yeah. this and went like, oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> no shit. Yeah, I really hope so. That's so cool. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've finished a short story and been this excited about mm. it. But yeah, so that, that turns out well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but this time we have two episodes, which might be a surprise <laughs> if you um, if this is your first episode. But if it's still a surprise and this is not your first episode, then I'm not sure if we can help you. Mm. Except... By listening to this and maybe learning that, yes, it's two episodes per hour episode. Yeah. And I'm going first, and I? Yes, this time. Yes. You are. For once. <laughs> For once. We've done three episodes now. Yes, well, two of them you've been first. Mm. So. Anyhow, let's get 
started. She's a woman. Corey, she's a robot. She's a woman! A tale as old as time, at least as old as the prison system. A man kills in self-defense. He's convicted for homicide regardless and sent to serve his punishment on an asteroid. A pardon nowhere in sight. Such is the fate of one James A. Corey. All he has is 46 more years, all by his lonesome, especially once his sanity leaves him. As he is brought supplies to survive another three months, Captain Allenby brings him something that might just let him keep his mind. A robot in the shape of a woman and according to the manufacturer, like a real woman for all intents and purposes. At first, Cory rejects her, but after seeing that she can be heard, that she cries, he cannot help but accept her. On some level, a part of him still knows that he is just a machine. In the next 11 months, that part becomes smaller and smaller. There is an unscheduled arrival by Captain Allenby and his crew. A pardon has come and no one is ever to be left on an asteroid alone like Cory. He can go home. No man has ever been happier than James A. Corey when he heard that he and Alicia could go back. Except that is not quite how it is to go. Somewhere along the way, Corey has come to believe Alicia is real, alive. He refuses to believe otherwise, all the way until Captain Allenby shows him that when shot, she does not bleed. There is no gore, no viscera behind her face, only wires and diodes. So, The Lonely originally aired on November 13th, 1959. It was written by one Rot Asering, uh, directed by Jack Smite. Known for directing The Illustrated Man, which a lot of places mention, but I have no idea what that is, so... I don't know what that is either. Yeah, I mean, from the poster, I can say that it's about a guy who has tattoos, mm. so... I know The Invisible Man, not The Illustrated Man. Yeah... Do you think that you'd see tattoos on the Invisible Man? Oh, just floating there. Yeah. Maybe I can see his clothes. Hmm. 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 Would have to know the mechanics of how, you know, tattoos work in the body and how his, like, <laughs> uh, invisibility thing works. Yeah, I mean, tattoos are under the skin, so maybe not. Well, they're not really under the skin, kind of in mm, the skin, mm. just not the, like, uppermost layer. So, yeah. you know, if you're trying... Looking at my arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What Eric just did was that he looked at his arm like, oh, yeah, where, where, what layer are they in? Oh, oh, I was going to dig it out. Interesting. What was I going to learn from that? Mm. <laughs> Very interesting. Science. 
indeed. But what he did do is he directed one episode of Columbo. Oh, again. He, no, we didn't have any directors, I no. think. I think someone we have, was on it? Yeah. Oh, someone was on it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, episode called Dead Weight, which IMDb has a synopsis. A war hero shoots and kills his business partner. An easily manipulated young divorcee is the only witness. Yeah. I remember this episode really vaguely. Like the screenshots looked familiar, but... Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the music for this episode of Twilight Zone, not Columbo, <laughs> was done by Bernard Herrmann. Mm, not stock music this time. No, and I usually don't mention music. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, but he also did the famous uh, screeching violins for Psycho. Oh. And also music for Taxi Driver, a movie that I should really watch. <laughs> I haven't seen that either, no. Yeah, it's... I, sh- I should watch more Scorsese movies because mm. he's actually good. And yeah. I've only seen like one. But yeah, wow, the psycho music, that's yeah. a classic. And also music for Citizen Kane. Ah. Reputedly one of the best movies in the world. Yeah. I don't recall what the music is. Like, neither do I. Like, <laughs> I vaguely remember something from the, like, yeah. Rosebud. Bet it's good. Yeah. But, you know. Right, and starring in this episode are Jack Warden as James A. Corey. And yes, I found it very funny that a guy whose name is Warden was a prisoner. Mm. (laughs) Um, And he's been in some good stuff, but, uh, you know, because of my impeccable taste, I don't care to mention any of it because it just (laughs) doesn't match my taste. Ah, yes. But... Then we have Jean Marsh as Alicia, who is in the Willow movie, mm. which I should also watch. <laughs> and we, there, there's gonna be a sliding up with this this one, this actress. Uh, she's in one episode of Murder She Wrote. I thought you were gonna say Columbo. I swear to God. No. But again, Murder, She Wrote. Yes, season 10, episode 10, Murder in White. There's 10 seasons of Murder, She Wrote. Oh no, there's a lot more oh than Oh my 10. god. I've seen the first episode of Murder, She Wrote, and that's it. I'm shaking my head. Listeners, I'm shaking my head. I forgot why I watched it. It was four or something. Next you say that you didn't watch Matlock after school. No, not, not one episode ever, no. What? I'm familiar with it, but... What? Uh-uh. Anyhow, uh, she stars as Glenda Highsmith, who is wrongfully accused of murder, so she's one of the oh. uh, principal characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, but now we get to the very highlight of her career. Oh. She's in 15 episodes of classic Doctor Who. Oh. And I was just watching Old Who. I'm watching it uh, all of it through. And look who it is in uh, the serial Dalek's Master Plan. Sarah, as Sarah Kingdom, a companion only in that serial, oh. is Jean Marsh. Oh, cool. But she is in 
other roles as well, but those come later. Yeah. But I just like Dalek's master plan is mostly lost episodes. So a lot of right. them like old episodes they were lost and stuff stuff stuff. Mm. But like immediately when there was like a still shot of this character I was like, oh hello. <laughs> yeah. Also this serial includes some space yellow face. Mm. Well I think they painted some guy well they like uh, taped his eyes so that you know he has like oh. <laughs> quote unquote Asian eyes. Oh no. And also um I think they also darkened his skin with paint, so it's right. kind of like a uh, brown face plus mm. like it's n- it's not like um, Southeast Asian like right, dark. Right, right. It's a bit darker than that, so it's so like it's a combo brown or black face oh almost, God. and you know it's mm. all the good things. <laughs> All the good things in one place, isn't it? Oh, nice. Yep. And back to the actual episode we're talking about. We have John Denner. Denner? D-E-H-N-E-R. Denner? Dina? Dina? Product. As Captain Allenby. Or as James A. Corey says, Allenby. Yeah, I couldn't hear what he was saying at first because I didn't realize that was his name. There were no subtitles. Yeah. Like, huh? Yeah, and I, I, I at first thought it was like Alan first name B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he was in two episodes of Columbo. Oh my god! Did they cast from the Twilight Zone to Columbo? Quality actors. Yeah. For quality shows. Of course. Uh, in season three, episode seven, Swan Song, where Johnny Cash stars as a gospel singer who kills his wife. Nice. Yes. And season five, episode six, Last Salute to the Commodore, where John Denner uh, stars as the Commodore who gets killed. So, Mm. you know, all the good roles. The range. Indeed. Something I'd like, before I get to actually my uh, topic... I'd like to ask you, do you find this punishment believable? Like leaving someone on an asteroid for solitary confinement? This is like an Elon Musk-ass punishment for inmates. Um, I'm gonna contest that, but continue. (laughs) I can imagine him, like, tweeting this shit. Um, especially the car... Do you mean like he would be on the asteroid? No, no. He would be tweeting this as a solution to, like, oh, right, the prison course. issues. Wait, are, are we now... Are we tweeting or are we Xing? What are oh, we yeah, doing? I don't What's know. the verb now? I have no idea, but he would be doing it. Um, mm-hmm. Just especially the car. He's just like, oh, throw him into space, give him parts to build a Tesla, drive it around. I'm so smart and charitable and it's cool. Um... But Certainly yeah. <laughs> wouldn't do that because you are you wouldn't be allowed to build your own Tesla because oh, you aren't even allowed to maintain those yourself. Oh yeah. Well, he'd probably give them a car then instead of the parts to a car. But um, it's one of these punishments that actually cost a lot more money to implement and they're more cruel, so everyone mm. wins. Um, but yeah, 
I guess, I mean, they're sending, like, asylum seekers to fucking islands right now, or planning to, so mm. who knows? If this was possible, then they probably would. Yeah, my thought is that it's not really realistic, mm. because there's no profit in it. All I'm right. not sure if in the 50s, <laughs> private prisons were such a big thing. Like, as I understand in the US, private prisons aren't as big as they used to be. Yeah. But there's still a thing. So there's no profit in sending someone to just mm. hang out on a rock and sending him supplies. Yeah, like, it costs a lot of money to go up there. Yeah, and, and maintain it stuff. constantly. Yeah. So, like, m- make him make Made in America shoes. Proudly uh, made in America. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I could have written this, my script that we're getting to, um, and viewed this as a criticism for the prison system. Uh, especially like how solitary confinement is inhumane. Mm. But... I happened upon a subject before that, mainly because, you know, I didn't happen to, and this is one of those things that I think about, uh, hashtag I love data on Star Trek. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the question that I happened to, happened upon first was, is Alicia sentient or quote unquote alive? Mm. And I looked a few sources because I wanted to see how they discussed her. So the ending narration is kind of unclear because it refers to both Alicia and the car as the machines Corey used. Hmm. Thinking about the word used. (laughs) Well, I mean... They're both sort of machines that he got in boxes sent to him up there, so you know. Mm, I meant more like what that mm, bird in chaos uh, yes. in this context, but <laughs> sure, yeah. He, For he, all intents and purposes. Yeah, we are getting to that. Uh. <laughs> but the ending narration also makes a biblical reference, saying Alicia was made in Corey's image. Mm. And that positions her as human to Corey's God, mm. which is interesting. I don't know what that means, but it kind of muddles the water in, like, was she sentient or not? Because yeah. we assume that humans are sentient. Mm. Mm. I mean, he certainly starts to think so. More time goes by. Yeah, we'll get more on that later, actually. Oh, right. (laughs) But then the Twilight Zone companion seems to think that Alicia being a woman, i.e. human, is just an illusion. Mm. And it's implied that it's not really, like, it's, um, she's just a machine, not alive. Leslie Day Feldman... Well, I feel like we are going to do an episode about his book at some point because <laughs> I hate his premise. If you know Hobbesian um, philosophy, he's yeah. really into that and I really don't agree with the whole premise. Yeah. So we might do some end of the season episodes where we go through the like sources that we use and that might be one of those that I will talk about. And just yeah, like, I didn't use it this time. But I'm guessing you did. Yeah, I read the, like, introduction and I was just horrified and just... 
but then I just wanted to check like yeah. what. But there's some good stuff in there. That's true, but the, like the premise is just. Mm. But anyhow, let's leave that for some special, extra special <laughs> episode. But yes, Feldman seems to think think that she's indeed fake, only appearing like a woman. Yeah. Uh, and in philosophy, in the Twilight Zone, Aeon, 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 I should have checked his name, like A-E-O-N, Aeon, 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 anyhow, Jay Scoble, if you're listening, Mr. I assume Mr., sorry if that's wrong, <laughs> Tovarish uh, Scoble, please tell us how to pronounce your name. All of these. It's critics, a very cool name. All I the think. critics we use have the most insane names to pronounce. Mm. They're cool names, but how? How? No one's name is like Smith. Nobody's. Mm. Please, people with normal names start writing books. But yes, comrade uh, Scoble, uh, <laughs> outright assumes that all viewers view her as non-sentient. It's like a given. Yeah. To them, and Julia Vosk. In My Fair Ladies, Female Robots, Androids, and Other Artificial Eves has a more nuanced take, I think. She considers Alicia from the point of view of archetypes assigned to women, so how she is a woman in that sense. An artificial woman, but in a story kind of artificial, a character made. And... She notes that the manual does indeed say that she is, for all intents and purposes, a woman. Hmm. And, you know, we, we've, um, when we first watched the episode, we did um, <laughs> have thoughts about that phrase, all <laughs> intents and purposes. Like, I know that that's a saying, for all intents and purposes, but I don't like that. Don't say purposes. I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy oh, that. Intense. <laughs> or intense. Or intense. Or wink. Either one is good. Yes, and there is, if you haven't watched this episode, uh, there is no sexual innuendo. Even mm. like the kind of, none that I could see that made me like, oh, that's a euphemism. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing like that. Yeah, or which, a visual cue or something like that. I was scared for, because it often goes there with these. Yeah, but um, I think the Haze Code would have, like, mm, gone, like, we mm. need to remember that this was made during the Haze Code era, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. But this seems to imply that, yes, she's a machine, but she is basically a woman. Mm. It's just that she's made in a different way. She wasn't gestated in someone's... and also Wosk uh, notes that she differs from earlier depictions of machine women who fooled men immediately or they they would quickly realize that they aren't real women Mm. and Corey has a slightly more nuanced progression like uh, he goes like, oh, you aren't real, but then, uh, and also goes through a whole explanation of like, oh, but why didn't they make you look like a machine? Yeah. And, uh, but then sees her cry and is like, oh, it's okay. Mm. Yeah. So, is she alive? 
At first I felt that she was, or at least I wanted to argue that she was. I guess that was somehow to give her sort of agency, because she yeah. doesn't really have any in this. No. Um, oh, and I have written here, uh, what do you think the writer of the manual thought these intents and purposes <laughs> were? I mean, I don't want to know. I honestly, like, what is... Hey, some technical writer put a lot of effort into that manual. Yeah. I just mean, all of these, like, robots that are companions, they are women. So it w- it's like, what would be the difference of... If, it's, if just the point is that he isn't lonely, then... Why wouldn't it be like a like a robot, like you said, like mm. it looks like a robot, or why wouldn't it be a man if all he's looking for is a friend? So I don't know. A I don't know. Mm, a companion. Mm. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the more I read, I, the more I started to agree with Julia Wosk. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her <laughs> name Properly, by the way, it's uh, W-O-S-K. O-S-K. Um, I, I don't know how else. Wosk. Yeah. yeah. Or if she is sentient, she has some built-in inclinations to be submissive and accommodating. Mm. So it's not like she's not totally independent. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, and she immediately that gets into all Corey's interests yeah. and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also felt that because she is a robot, robot, they pronounce robot somehow weird yeah, in this show. Robot. 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 But because she is a robot, it kind of shows the constructedness of the characters, uh, of characters like this. The perfect woman who is so accommodating and submissive to the main character, just waiting for them. Uh, and it draws attention to these kind of characters and how they are made as robots or as fiction. Hmm. And Or at least it has potential to do that. And I think that's kind of good. Yeah. Uh, but... I was going to continue with this kind of line, like, oh, is she alive, is she not? But then our national broadcaster put out an article <laughs> about stuff, and I just couldn't help but include it here. Oh, my God. Because it talked a bit about technology that doesn't draw attention to how it's constructed. Uh-huh. It was about... AI dating apps. Oh my god. Like, dating AI? (laughs) Yes. Oh, that was a joke, but that's actually what it is. Yes. So, according to the article, there is a shortage of women on real-person dating apps. Mm. And I can't believe that I have to specify real-person dating app now. Oh my god, yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) I didn't even catch that when you said that, but yeah, that's insane. Yep. Uh, and I think what is meant here is that there is a big shortage of straight or I've written straight here, but you know, let's be honest, like, or let's be fair. Hmm. 
let's be fair and just, yeah, women who are interested in cis men. Yeah. yeah. Or men in general, I mm. suppose. But, you know, mainly I think this is a cis men problem. Yeah, women looking for men on dating apps. Yeah, uh, because, but yeah, uh, I think that they mean this because I have no trouble finding women and <laughs> not men. Flex. Uh, in general <laughs> on dating apps. Brag. Humble brag. <laughs> but like, it's Skill just true. <laughs> Sorry to these men, I'm different. <laughs> but apparently it's true that like, the article claimed that two out of three people on regular dating apps are men. I can believe that, yeah. Yeah, mm. and then like there's a just a lot of men who are just don't want to use those anymore because mm. they feel like they can make it in that space. Yeah. Um but yeah, I also I I'm kind of curious what it would be like to be on dating apps looking for cis hat men. All right. Okay, let's continue. Uh, I think it cut off somewhere where you started talking about, like, uh, dating the men's. Yeah. What was I saying? Yeah, like, cis men. Yeah, I do see cis men on dating apps, but they're not straight in that case, so... Um, I can't do the case study. Yeah. And... Yeah, I'm not gonna try that, because I... (laughs) No. Yeah. Uh, that's not my scene, yeah. let's say. It's a bit it's a bit scary. Yeah. Uh but these basically there's a subset of um cishead men who feel like they can make it on dating apps. So yeah. And that's why that's who AI dating apps are marketing to. Right. Because then you can just like date an AI. Right. So it's like practice for. That's how they market it. Yeah. And. I mean, sure. And some... If you're using it like that, I feel like that's beneficial maybe a little bit if you we'll don't get know to how that. to talk like a real person. We'll get to that. Yeah. But. Then the problem is that these AIs go straight into it, basically, and su- mm. suggest cyber sex. And, right. uh, yeah. and if they don't, they will always say yes when you do. Uh, and oh no. of course, that, uh, as the article says, they are all submissive as hell with mm. no boundaries of their own. Right. So. Cool expectations, if that's how you're starting out your dating life. Yeah, and that's like... Young uh, men out there. <laughs> yeah, especially if you are also... You have, like... Feel like you've been wronged by society because you mm. can't find, like, real women. Yeah. And then you get, like, this is how it should be. Yeah, it's just more of the same, you know, justification. Yeah, yeah and... I kind of want to go go into a rant about how I feel like a lot of cishet men would be would be having better sex 
if they dare to entertain the idea of subbing. <laughs> but our country is how it is, and we aren't a king podcast, so I'm not gonna yeah. go into it. But you know, mm. try something like it's you know, call to action <laughs> for anyone out there. I'm uh-huh. kidding. Like and subscribe. Yeah. Wait, what do you do on podcast? I don't Follow, know. subscribe, I guess so. like if you can, give us a review or something like that. Anywho, you can like something on some apps. You can like anything you want, honey. <laughs> In your head. Mm-hmm. But and they will always. All these AIs, they have these like, oh, I'm a swimmer and I have this and this kind of job, and you know, mm. some kind of like backstory context for you to go like, oh, yeah, oh that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. And uh, but they will always answer right away. Yeah. <laughs> and because. No matter what fantasies they spin, they don't have lives like real people and they mm-hmm. aren't even... Like, the point isn't to simulate what it's like to uh, communicate with a real person, but mm-hmm. what it's like to communicate with someone who just is there all the time for you. Yeah. And because they are AIs, they can seem like they know about whatever you are interested in. Mm. Uh, but... They don't immediately go like, oh, that's... They will say that it's interesting, but they won't immediately be like, oh, that's that's what I'm also... Like, that's what I do. No, no, no. They will just be interested in what you do. So, yeah. So, yeah, Alicia and AIs are kind of similar in that because they accommodate and just mirror the usually uh, cishet man's... um, interests and emotions basically yeah, I mean, she doesn't have a life outside of this obviously she can't no. just leave and like go mm. to her job <laughs> or something that is very true yeah. and the biggest difference is between alicia and a dating uh, ai is that she's physical mm. so for all intents and purposes <laughs> no and she reacts to being treated poorly. Mm. She cries. She oh, feels yeah. lonely. True. But according to the article, the dating AIs don't care if they are treated poorly. Nice. You can call them names and they are just like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Awesome. You can call them names. You can be a horrible, absolutely shit person to them. And they just accommodate you and are ready to give you whatever you want, be it cybersex or a punching bag. Hmm. And they don't have any boundaries, just a customer's wishes. Well then, good product. Good product indeed. Hmm. According to Julia Wosk, uh, this isn't totally dissimilar how men in fiction regard artificial women. Mm. Narcissistic relationships, uh, there's usually narcissistic relationships where the woman is an extension of the man. Cory literally says Alicia's an extension of him and he hears his words in her, kind of like talking to an AI after a while. They just start to spew the same thing at you Mm -hmm. in a different form. And yes, AI will get better, but you know, basically. Yeah. And 
No matter how intelligent uh, artificial woman might seem, she will mirror the man's interests and emotions. And these dating AIs are basically the real-life version of these artificial women fantasies. Mm-hmm. And there's a good bit of don't create the torment vortex <laughs> in this as well. And if you don't know that, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't originate from Tumblr, but on Tumblr we have this thing where, like, don't create the torment vortex. Like, let's say that there was a book, a classic uh, sci-fi book called Don't Create the Torment Vortex, and in present day there's going to be a tech startup that's going to be like, we're proud to <laughs> proud to uh, announce that we have developed the torment vortex from <laughs> Don't Create the Torment Vortex. That's everything. That is literally everything that exists. Yeah. Now, yeah. Tech-wise. That's also kind of what my short stories are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this has kind of the feel of that. Yeah, that's what I mean when I say that it's like an Elon Musk-ass punishment, because... This, uh, in this short story, in this short story, in this episode, it's the year 2046, um, apparently, and so it's like, don't do the asteroid prison system in 2046, Mm -hmm. and some fucking guy is gonna be like, we are proud to present the asteroid prison system in 2046. Mm -hmm. Some Mm -hmm. asshole is gonna do that. Yeah, most likely. But yeah, the company who makes the app says that it can be a safe and fun way to learn relationship and social skills. Don't think so. No. But what kind of skills does it actually teach? It teaches no skills. It just reinforces that you, usually the man, are anything you want goes. And of course, you know, users are like, oh yeah, this is like... This is not real, like I'm not getting mm. anything like that. But if you are like, I don't want to date, but I do this, you yeah. kinda you kinda are. And also because this just reinforces everything that the culture around you is already kinda saying, maybe not as loud as it used to, mm. but depending on what circles you are in it might actually be just I mean, it is a fantasy where your relationship is just easy, you know, the person you're dating is there for you whenever you want, and they don't have any problems or and they don't worries a... or anything. Yeah, and they don't have any boundaries. Yeah. And you don't need to have boundaries because they don't push anything. You mm. Only your needs matter. Yeah, like you don't have to deal with anything with them or go through with hard times or anything like that. Yeah. So wow. But yeah, I'm not actually sure if the app, what the app offers for women and queer users. Hmm. But it, the marketing, I, I haven't said the name of the app because I don't want to, you know, hmm. advertise it. But I looked it up on the app store really quickly, and yeah, it's a uh, women with big tits, and basically it's for <laughs> like marketed towards like. Uh, straight men and yeah. like I do like big titty I will admit <laughs> I will admit that? I have yes I do have a um, certain affection for the <laughs> large memory as one does as one does 
but so I'm not really sure like yeah if you're a woman or a queer person you could use it sure mm. but it, it feels like it's not meant for you yeah like would you want to or would you get anything out of it I suppose yeah it's less appealing yeah. to do but yeah it basically through the illusion it tries to create uh, it reinforces and teaches you horrible ideals mm. that are like it's not like it's teaching you something new it's just reinforcing what is already there and mm. that's the problem with these things yeah. uh, and the article also claimed that some people like they had interviewed someone who talks about the dangers of AI not like not in the sense that we should not like use AI for anything, but mm. how it can be dangerous. And they were like, yeah, it's... Some people might just remove themselves from social life altogether. Yeah. And our society is kind of built to make that happen, because uh. everything, more and more, we don't have to leave our like apartment for anything. Yeah. Not really, no. Yeah, like we can order order our groceries in. Mm. Like, for me, I get that some people you can't leave. Like, you have a disability mm. or you are sick in some more temporary but also, you know, significant way. Or you just don't have the time because our system is based on, you know, mm. tiring you out so that you don't have any energy in your free time yeah. and your whole life is your work, yay. But for me, going to the store is just like, I love it. Yeah. I love going to the store. Like, sometimes it irritates me because there's too many people, but mm. it's like, it gets me out. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, our system is, I could talk hours upon hours how our system is basically how we, like, build our buildings, how we create our apartments how that all contributes to a culture that is more and more about the individual alienating mm. themselves from the world and making community harder and harder to happen and creating systems that just don't work with the idea of community you can you need to consciously work mm. against yeah everyone is like one or two steps removed from being completely alone mm -hmm. at all times. Yeah. With and no then, sort of system. And AIs make it possible, more possible, because then you have these kinds of pseudo-social contact. Hmm. And in the future, like, AI is going to get better. I'm not gonna, like, say that we'll just stop AI. It won't happen. No. <laughs> for several reasons yeah. but it's we just will have people who just talk to AIs all the time that, those are the only only things that they talk to and AIs will always be your product mm. so there's always something behind it someone's benefiting definitely yeah yeah so and if there's ever going to be like oh I'm gonna buy my own AI you're gonna most consumers are going to buy it from someone. Mm. So, even now, your Alexa, your Siri, 
they're listening to you already. Why yeah. an, why would an AI not listen yeah, to of course everything and to just quote unquote learn everything about you? Yeah, and just weirdly suggest these things that you just thought yeah. about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what Alicia also reminds me of? Um, mm-hmm. When I think about how, like, what Corey likes about her, because what is she like? Like, she doesn't really have anything to her that's She's personal like or, yeah, exactly. She's like him. So, it reminds that's me what of... That's Wasp said, like, narcissistic rela- mirroring relationships. Exactly. So, if you were to ask him, like, what he likes about her... He would like list things like gentle and kind. Yeah, she's she's beautiful, she's kind, she's a good listener, etc., etc. So that reminds me of like I've been watching a lot of catfish stuff, where these like poor people are being like scammed out of their life savings through mm. the older people by uh, romance scams, and behind these romance scams are usually other men, uh, who are pretending to be these like Instagram models and whatever yeah. soldiers, um, and. So whenever the producer is like, well, what do you like about her? They always say the same things. It's like, she's beautiful. She has nice eyes. She has beautiful hair. She has beautiful skin. She listens to me. She's uh, kind to me. She like wants to be with me. But then it's like, what is she like? Because that's not a real person. It's another man somewhere, uh, usually like Nigeria or, or somewhere where they're usually from, these scams. Um, it's another guy that's not a real woman. Yeah, and like <laughs> that's kind of what. That's kind of what the uh, dating AIs offer you, like just like someone who just mirrors you completely, but doesn't have anything yeah. about them. Like, and they don't need to because that's like they sell themselves by like they have these like artifacts of like mm. oh I'm a swimmer, but that doesn't matter. That gives you yeah. like uh, these backstory context uh, and like it doesn't matter in the end mm. at all because then they were all about you yeah and you look at these text conversations also like on these catfish things where they like flash people's uh, text conversations it's basically just like love bombing this person who's being scammed mm. it's all like hey babe hope you slept well like I love you can't wait to be with you like what do they talk about no, that's of... creepy as fuck what do they if talk someone, about if a real person did that to me I was like you okay yeah right I, I don't but know but then again I mean I'm not saying I'm not uh, by the, the person way... I just met by the way like yeah, someone yeah. who I've known for very little time yeah like, and like, like um, I'm not I'm I'm not going to like um say that it's like these people's fault that they fall for this no, because no. like usually these people they are in a hot spot in their life. Mm. So they they are lonely or something and someone is taking advantage of them. Exactly, They're taking yeah. advantage of their humanness. Mm. Yeah, it's still recording. Had to check. <laughs> Oh, we didn't really mention that we had a little cut there, but we had. You probably <laughs> noticed it, but like editing me might have put in a, like a thing that we had a cut there. But yeah. wire said nah, actually nah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think dating AIs show why calling AIs AI is bad hmm. instead of calling them large language models or LLMs. Mm. LLM. <laughs> LLM. 
because they aren't actually intelligent. Mm-hmm. Like when people talk about them being intelligent, it's not like intelligence, intelligence. Mm, intelligence It, is like a human trait. Yeah, and they are just really good at guessing the next word. That's basically what's happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when we call them AIs, it's easier to think that it's a person. Mm. Like something that like actually thinks and therefore it gives that certain tone to what they are saying to us, even though it's just like mirroring us. It's also easier to think that it actually teaches you interpersonal skills when you think of them as an AI yeah, and not LLM. Yeah, if they were to market them like, oh, it, I mean, they do market it like this. People know how it works in general. But if they kept marketing it like, oh, you say something into it and it just draws from so many different sources mm. to like think of what the real or like a normal response would be to you. I don't think everyone knows how, the, how they work actually. Maybe not, yeah. I mean, I have a very, very little understanding of how it actually works, but that's how I think it works. Um, yeah. But if they were to say that constantly when they were marketing like new AIs of like, oh, it just like draws from the internet and from different sources to give you like a normal response to what you just said using keywords that you mm-hmm. said and using your tone thinking, was that a question? Was that a comment? What was that? Yeah. And um, what has it already says? What What is the context? Yeah. So and I don't think if you just plopped the code on the table, I don't think yeah. people would be as enticed by it necessarily. Yeah. Um, but this is a pretty common problem with LLMs. Like they, I think that the use of them, they can be really useful and it's inevitable. The problem, of course, is that when they take away jobs, they they will create new jobs, but according to estimates, not as many <laughs> as they like destroy. Right. So that's that's a thing, and they they'll just reinforce all the already existing biases in society. Mm. Like, that's what they are, we've seen time and time again when they've been used. Because they are drawing on a lot of text. Yeah, and they do it subtly because a lot of it is subtle. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, one might call it systemic. Hmm, one might. Yeah. Mm. And the dating LLMs almost do that intentionally. Hmm. Like just reinforcing biases in society because these are also ideas like this kind of, oh, real women don't work like this. Yeah, I'm gonna isolate myself even more. I'm gonna go full incel. Yeah. And like the company wants that because yeah. then you, you keep using. Mm. Or like in the incel case, it's like, oh, maybe real women do act like this, but the problem is with me. And like, I, you know, mm. I'm just so whatever the fucking cells believe. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. it's just me, you know, no. Yeah. And um, the company will, of course, hide behind excuses. Like, we can't be held responsible for our customers' accent, actions and <laughs> that kind of stuff. And some will say that it's just for fun. And for some people, it mm. probably will be. Yeah. But... Because, as I said, our society already, because of the influence of capitalism, big companies, mm. it's all about isolating us so that we, well, we are, I don't want to say easier to control, but then we yeah. just, like, 
were easier to market to. Yeah. Easy to easier to take advantage of. I mean, how close are we to like AI therapy <laughs> being used constantly? Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people do use it for that. If you don't have mm. like a friend to talk to or a, a, a therapist or anybody, I feel like you have to just say it to something or someone. Yeah, it's not and, allowed. And I gotta say, like, how much? I'm not saying that in the before times, in the back in the day, everyone <laughs> had a friend. No, I'm saying yeah, no. in that how much is the alienation, the loneliness that we see affecting people's mental health all around at least the developed world. Mm. Do we use that term anymore? Developed world? Sure. Well, someone's going to tell us if it's, <laughs> if it's not. But it's because we are losing like community mm. and that is very much because how things are sold to us like in america as uh, suburban houses like you have this self-contained little world of your mm. little suburban house and nuclear family mm. and individualism yeah and neoliberalism you know that all the good stuff <laughs> but this is basic the business model here is ba- based around further alienating their customer base mm. from real person contacts so it's just more blatant yeah. basically <laughs> i mean a lot of these issues people have like with their mental health is because they are lonely just that uh, simply they just don't have things to do with other people yeah and that's partly because we have uh the society around us is Mm. more and more geared towards the individual and the Mm. individual can't hold themselves up because we aren't built that way yeah and like when someone is struggling or depressed uh i feel like a lot of the solutions are to better deal with being on your own and doing stuff on your exactly. own rather than being like oh hey maybe you should seek help or from your community or yeah or like do these uh, things with help therapy yeah therapy but it's like you alone with the therapist all about your needs and that kind of mm. stuff you don't go beyond yourself yeah. necessarily like, depends of the therapist but like from from my last job there was like take a mental health day like take the day to yourself and for yourself everything i do is for myself or by myself Mm. already (laughs) how's that gonna (laughs) i have plenty of time by myself yeah the problem my mental health started to go way up when i started to meet people who i actually like want to spend time with and actually making (laughs) time for spending time with them and Mm. also like going to events where I'm meeting not like just going into events like not yeah. something like that that but thinking okay what interests me what where do I want to go what kind of people do I want to meet yeah whenever I'm like oh I've had a really good day today and then I start thinking about why it's mm. either because I hung out with somebody or I met new people and talked to them or I have like a really nice person who I work with uh who I got to talk to all day it's all about that. Every time I'm like, oh, I had a really good day. And it's it's all because I wasn't just doing something by myself. Yeah. And I'm slightly different because, like, 
when I write, like I'm having a really good time. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, but uh, like I still need like human contact with mm. people who I like. Yeah. Because I'm, well, I'm autistic, so you know, <laughs> new people can be really fucking yeah. tiring. Hit or miss. Yeah. But yeah, the, the company that owns the app, this article, talks about things that in time, the shame around LLM dating will disappear in time. Hmm. Just like around dating on dating apps used to be shameful. Right, yeah. I still remember that time. Yeah, it used to be very strange. Yeah. Um. But, and the company will more certainly push for it because people think that these things just happen but they will also like push for it (laughs) and people who make money control the media so probably and that's Um. not a that's not a conspiracy theory just like (laughs) someone owns the media like (laughs) someone actually owns the media it's not the Jews (laughs) It's it's not like lizard people. It's just people who have money who want more money. Yeah, like you're that's how that's how capitalism like, oh, no, no. works. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just right. how it how it's supposed to work according to capitalism. Yeah. Like, yeah. <sighs> and media has to make money. That's mm. also the other thing. So you know. What you get on the media, someone decided, okay, that's going to sell. And yes, journalists want to make just... I think a lot of journalists want to make media that that informs people. But mm-hmm. then there's stakeholders who wanted to make money. Right. So there's always a certain skew to it. I just feel like we're just constantly throwing new tech at problems instead of acknowledging the problem at its source in any sort of significant Mm. way it's kind of like in this episode like there's this prison system here which has massive flaws and i think they realize it or the captain realizes it because it keeps like bringing him stuff to make it a bit better um like this robot woman is just throwing more tech and quote improvements in there to make up for the insane punishment that this Mm. guy is yeah. dealing with instead of being like hmm I don't think we should be doing this anymore actually I think I, I think it's still do like, at the end I guess but still I think saying that we throw more tech at our problems is not quite grasping the real problem mm-hmm. because I think it would be better to say we keep throwing products yeah. something that someone is selling to us at right. our problems yeah and like yes it's often tech currently mm. but it's basically someone wants you to believe that this helps you yeah or that you need this mm. even if you don't but they will market it to you and think you will think oh well maybe i do need this yeah so yeah that's how consumerism works create needs not fulfill mm. needs create needs yeah exactly it's like with i mean in the olden times <laughs> it was like with uh i guess diseases that aren't diseases that you would market cures for mm. you know i guess uh balding or like you need to shave all of a sudden that. and 
like shit that isn't like an issue before you make it an issue. Mm. So it's we've just always been doing that. It's like oh, it's all of a sudden a problem that we need to solve in some way. It's yeah. Like, whose problem is this? Oh, what rem- that reminds. Oh, I can't talk about that. I'm <laughs> okay. Um, we're gonna probably cut cut this, uh-huh. but like. Uh, vaginal re- reti- rejuvenation and that kind of mm. and like vaginoplasty oh yeah it's like not who's... the song <laughs> no that's crazy yeah like just you're new just new saying... shit to be insecure about constantly yeah and like the, we can trace it back in our culture like mm. someone said that it's because of something that was in like porn, you couldn't show certain ca- certain <laughs> parts of yeah. like the vagine. Uh. So if you had big, a big lips, then um, you couldn't show that. Yeah. And yeah, that's another like nobody needs that. Yeah. And the like result is basically like well now you probably. It might hurt to have sex, and uh, yeah, it might so, just like there's gonna be like occasional bleeding and that kind yeah, of so stuff. It's like what I and do not this that shit kind for. of occasional bleeding. <laughs> yeah. It's like what I do all this shit for then. Like what's? Oh my god. Yeah, and like people will take advantage of that. They will create these needs. Yeah. Yeah. And. At this point, listeners, you will have found out if we cut that. If you did not hear a conversation between we might cut this and uh, the listener, then we cut it and it might go into like an archive or Patreon if we ever make one. Mm. So, yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, that's all that I have for this episode. So, yes. I think it's your turn. Yes. You, Mr. Bemis, are a reader. A, a reader? A reader. Henry Bemis is not a very efficient member of his organization, nor is he a very efficient member of his own marriage. What he is, is a reader. Henry wants to live in a world of his own, with no distractions and nobody telling him what to do or what not to read. And he wants to read everything. Books, newspapers, shampoo bottles, condiment labels, the text on the side of the radiator when you're on the toilet, you know what I'm talking about. And soon, he will get his wish. He will have all the time in the world to read everything that has ever been written, anywhere. His passion for reading saves him from a falling bomb, but it also leaves him the last man alive. Miserable, terrified, and lonely, he wanders the ruins of his town, screaming for anyone who might be left alive. Just as he is about to end it all, there is the public library, thus serving much the same function as it does when there isn't a hydrogen bomb dropped on the city. Now there's all the time in the world, all the books he could ever read, no one to bother him, but also no one left to fix his reading glasses. And that's how it is, isn't it? What is the one thing that has always been true about life, either now or 65 years ago, either in real life or in science fiction? It's not fair. It's just not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Damn straight. <laughs> so it's not fair. That's what we've been talking about here for three and a half episodes now. Um, yeah, I'm genuinely sad. 
for my guy, oh. Henry. Genuinely sad. It's not fair, dude. Yeah, I'm kind of intrigued to see what you're going to talk about <laughs> with this episode. Well, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, this came out on the 20th of November, 59, and it was written by Short King, prime of his life, 34-year-old Rod Serling. Um, this is based on a short story. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. This is based on a short story uh, of the same name, Time Enough at Last, um, by Lynn Venable, Venable, either one, who is still alive. She's 96 years old. Go Lynn. Hmm. Um, it's, she should be at the club. Yeah, <laughs> she should be at the club, but I think she's in a retirement community somewhere in the States. Uh, um, maybe they go to the club. I hope so. Oh, might. Uh, she deserves it. It's it's a very short story um, that came out in 53, uh, noted as not being very good by both the mm-hmm. companion and the critical history of television's The Twilight Zone. And by me i'm um, sorry lynn uh i read it while i was researching for this episode and making notes and it's it's yeah it's pretty much the same as this episode obviously um but there's like there's no dialogue there's nothing really it's very it's very short um but i do like how it does like a time skip it starts with the bomb falling and then it goes back to like henry being yelled at by his wife mm. in the living room and it goes back like four times or something so that's interesting um, but yeah, produced by Backhouten and directed by John Brom. And, uh, this episode was actually apparently the first episode on TV to show an atomic bomb being dropped on the US. Uh, that's from the critical history of television's The Twilight well, Zone. Well, they don't exactly show it. They don't show it, yeah. But the implication is there. Yeah, but it's apparently the first one. Um, which is, in the 50s, is very similar trivia to, like, Psycho being the first movie to show a toilet. You know, it's very similar oh, yeah. trivia to that, because there's not a lot of TV about anything, really. Yeah. So we're... Yeah, and toilets were kind of, like, taboo as well. Yeah, right. It's, it's that kind of trivia. It's, it's a bit interesting, but also there's not a lot of stuff similar to this, I suppose. Hmm. Um, we were we talked a lot when we were watching like Godzilla movies about Japanese movies and mushroom clouds how they aren't allowed to show them. Yeah, and, I think um, they are these days, but these it used days, to yeah, be like yeah. But this doesn't show them either. It's just it's just the vault shaking, and then you see the destruction. It might have been later. that they didn't have any footage. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Also, it's just from um, Henry's point of view, so he's the True. lone survivor here. Um, so, um, what I did want to talk about was, well, reading and H-bombs and how they're magically related through the magic of television. And they are. Um, what have you been reading lately? Me? You. Me. Who else is here? Well. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Let's not get into that. Oh my god. Um, Star Trek. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, The Disinherited. Nice. That had three authors. Mm. Always a good sign. Always. And next I'm going to read some poetry. Modern poetry, one might say. Oh. 
just like our man Henry. <laughs> Henry Indeed. here is trying to read poetry. Um, yes, so reading and age bombs. Let's get into it. Um, well, first, obviously, this is like a satire of anti-intellectualism in American life and culture, especially working life mm-hmm. and the business uh, uh, and the business aspect of it all, the busyness of life that comes with this, meaning there's no time or energy for intellectual pursuits like reading, uh, time, energy, or motivation or want. Um, and the word anti-intellectualism is really a little bit vague. Uh, I have a few... Uh, I want to add at this point that I have been told off for reading at work. Oh. <laughs> I was reading Isaac Asimov's The Foundation. Oh my god. And I was told off like, oh, you don't have enough work to do. And I'm like, I just oh don't have god. any work to do right now. That Like, there's lax bits. So you can relate to our guy Henry here. Indeed. Oh no. And... Um, note that reading a book was the bad thing. Reading something off of a screen is okay because it looks like I'm working. All so right, I did yeah. uh, brush up on a lot of uh, Warhammer 40k law while mm. I was working for the city. Rest in peace to Henry BMS. He would love online fiction at his job. And wikis. Just yeah. by reading wikis. Exactly, yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, I have a few definitions of anti-intellectual here because they the definition kind of varies and it's it's kind of vague, especially nowadays. Mm. Um, Miriam Webster just defines it as uh, opposing or hostile. Miriam, did you say Miriam Webster? Miriam Webster, mm. um, opposing or hostile to intellectuals or to an intellectual view or approach. So that's also very vague. Mm. Um, this is a word we use a lot nowadays, and to the point where. I thought it was like a fairly new word um, because it's true that this word has made a comeback massively for good reason. Because mm. what do you think about when you think about this word in the 2020s where we're living now? Um, like banning books yeah. in God's year, uh, 2020, whatever, 2023, 2024. And not teaching certain things at schools, making like teachers look anti-American for wanting to teach kids normal shit, and, yeah. like real history. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we think about um, in the 2020s, which... Um, <laughs> Future historians, if you're looking back at this term, we are sorry. We're banning books, dude. What are we doing, man? Uh-huh. Anyway, the first recorded use was already in 1821. So we've always been like this in this world. Um, and this source that I read on American anti-intellectualism and its history and reasons and stuff behind it is from 1963. So very relevant to this episode and this short story that uh, came before it. Uh, it's Richard Hofstadter's Anti-Intellectualism in American Life. And he also makes... Uh, a note of defining what anti-intellectualism is. Uh, he also says that it isn't very clear and there's little point to even make it clear. Um, but essentially it's a resentment and suspicion of the life of the mind and those who are considered to represent it and the disposition constantly to minimize the value of that life. Mm-hmm. So just hating on, <laughs> hating on 
hating on smart people like our man Henry Bemis here. Mm, and not even <laughs> smart people, but those who you think that like yeah, those who you think are smart are. like that. Mm. That reminds me of how uh, doing the uh, massacres by the Khmer Rouge, people who were wearing like eyeglasses, who had mm. glasses, were <laughs> killed because they were thought to be like decadent intelligentsia oh my god like what is the history of thinking that just because you can't see that you're smart like what is that it's it a might disability. be because uh, for some people it might have you would have focused more on indoor activities yeah like like because you make them for being able to see close so they're all like mm. reading glasses yeah yeah I, I assume so yeah yeah, and Henry's glasses are amazing. Like these huge uh, bottle. What is what are they called? Like the end of a bottle, the b- bottom of the bottle glasses. Yeah. Amazing! I love them so much. Um, he's adorable. Um, and this uh, Hofstadter's book was apparently conceived in response to the political and intellectual conditions of the nineteen fifties. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we are at the source here of what is going on um, during Ooh. this episode and during the short story. Um, during that decade, uh, he notes that the term anti-intellectualism hadn't really been used that much before, but it became a familiar part of the national vocabulary. Um, so that's good. What was, <laughs> what was going on in the 50s, you may ask? Um, a few things. McCarthyism. Mm. <laughs> Well, in the late 40s already, I suppose, but in the 50s. um, There's a lot of fear around that, because if you're rooting out people who might have communist pasts or even being rumored to have communist pasts or know someone who has a communist past or has even, like, uh, talked about communism in any way positive in the past few years, uh, you're going to jail. Um, And if you think like this... Uh, you think that these people are clever and they're, you know, hiding because they're smart and they're out here to destroy America. Mm. Um, another thing was the presidency of Eisenhower, um, because apparently after 20 years of democratic rule, uh, yeah. which Hofstadter says had been uh, an intellectual time <laughs> where uh, it was like understood and respected that you need to be making smart decisions with your brain, Um, now it was all about business and, um, you know, business supremacy, stuff like that. Mm, I'm Um, sure that uh, we can't (laughs) see this in, uh, Finland. I'm sure that we can't at all, yeah. No, I was reading this, like, hmm, hell world. Hell world. Indeed. Um... And there's an interesting word here, egghead, used for intellectuals, which came to be around this time. Mm. Um, which I'm gonna, someone defines it later, I'm gonna get to that, because it's a very funny a definition, and I think applies to Henry a little bit, so we're gonna get to that definition in a bit. Yeah. But, you know, of course the Cold War is going on, but that doesn't really come into the picture with furthering uh, American anti-intellectualism, but worrying about that in the late 50s. Um, after Sputnik was launched in 57, there was a lot of worry about American intellect because 
if we can't do this first, then are we stupid? <laughs> mm. um, and so a lot of worry about the funding for school systems and worry about kids being stupid was a worry in the late 50s, so that would have also been worry here, I suppose. Mm. A lot of public conversation about that. Also, Hofstadter does say that it's not like a unique thing to the 50s. It's fluctuating and there's yeah. a lot of, you know, <laughs> this didn't, people weren't uniquely dumb in the 1950s. It's It comes and goes through political situations, usually. Mm. Um, yeah. So we do have the definition of egghead here <laughs> from uh, Louis Bromfield, uh, who was a novelist, a popular right-wing novelist at the time. I don't have the pleasure to know who, what he wrote at all. I don't think there's any pleasure in knowing a right-wing yeah, but he's, novelist. <laughs> he's, uh, he was very, uh, you know, against anti-intellectuals or eggheads, as he quotes here. Um, an egghead is... A person of spurious intellectual pretensions, often a professor or the protege of a professor, fundamentally superficial, over-emotional and feminine in reactions to any problem. Um, and then it cuts here, but a doctrinaire supporter of middle European socialism as opposed to Greco-French American ideas of democracy and liberalism. The quote continues in this vein, but those are two things that I... Okay, there's wanted a lot to, to get from that yeah. is the um, over emotional and feminine part mm-hmm. um, is the first thing, and then the east versus west, you know, socialism versus uh, liberalism mm. arguments, uh, which I think we can see in this episode um, as criticisms, uh, you know against the intellectuals. Mm. There's there's Henry's wife, Helen, um, who keeps criticizing him for being a grown man who reads all this silly, nonsensical doggerel, I think she says, yeah. being poetry. <laughs> Just, like, criticizing him for not being, like, Yeah, and these man. are, like, really significant uh, American poets. Yeah, these are, like, it's, you know, there's fucking Keats in there, and... Who else? I don't fucking know, but like 19th century poets. Mm. Crazy. Um, Things that we went to university to read. Yeah. And she's like, fuck this. This is stupid. As filthy intelligentsia. She also makes a note of him being the only husband that she has, sadly. So it's kind of this Yeah, I know that as well. Yeah. This like criticism of him not maybe being manly enough or doing enough stuff to maybe support her or stuff yeah. like that um <laughs> yeah. so that's that's something um and he's kind of he's like a sensitive guy he strikes me as that mm. he does you know he's very emotional who wouldn't be when you know your city's being totaled by a bomb uh, but still um and then there's the socialism versus American liberalism thing with the boss. Um, yeah. You're being like a good member of the American workforce and business. Uh, there's a lot of that. So those two things are definitely in the episode. Um, the East and West tensions we can talk about in a bit with the nuke. But <laughs> mm. just like the nuke hasn't been dropped in the episode, it hasn't been dropped in this conversation. Um <laughs> Another thing about business, I guess, um, 
Hofstadter says that a lot of the anti-intellectualism in the 50s came from businessmen who were suspicious of experts in fields uh, that they had no control over. So scientists, universities, diplomats, people like this, um, that they couldn't, you know, control this science. Basically the same today that it's like, we we gotta make the money and then we apply to like how companies work to how how nations are supposed to work mm. but then like that doesn't work on that level does it yeah like we're being ruled by these companies what do you mean the science doesn't support the selling of this product that i made fuck you yeah <laughs> universities are making communists um which is another argument in the 50s uh yeah it's just still you know they're it started that and maybe even earlier. Probably um, has started earlier. Fucking, yeah, sound familiar or recent. I can't mm-hmm. believe I've been regurgitating the same shit for 70 years. Yep. What's going on? <sighs> also, not surprisingly, hostility toward intellectuals was mainly expressed by the far right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, quote, the right-wing crusade of the 1950s was full of heated rhetoric about Harvard professors, twisted-thinking intellectuals in the State Department, Easterners who insult the people of the great Midwest and West, the heart of America. So, <laughs> does this sound at all familiar to anybody? Anybody at all? Yeah. Hello? <laughs> so I guess, thing, yeah. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I can't fucking believe this. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> We've not grown as human beings or learned anything from any history. Um, ever. So that's fun. Um, so it's been about hating anything, quote, un-American for a long time. It's just, these people are un-American. We need to... It's not even about hating something that's un-American, because Mm. you describe, you label something as un-American because you don't like it. And then it gives everyone else like, (laughs) oh, we're justified to hate this because it's un-American. Why? Because, well... How? (laughs) How? It's un-American. Oh. (laughs) I guess because there is like a... Learning to read. (laughs) Not banning books. Using Arabic. About the Holocaust. Using Arabic numerals. (laughs) Arabic numerals. That was like a big thing. <laughs> it was like, should we be teaching kids Arabic numerals in school? And all these yeah. fucking parents were like, fuck you. Oh, yeah. just Roman numerals for me. Just Roman numerals. <laughs> like the old way. I, I guess because there's like, there is the West and the East, obviously in these people's imagination and everyone's imagination, um, mm. which is uh, everything that comes from uh, like a place of socialist or communist values has to be from the east and it's very just linked immediately to east uh, or you know russia and china <laughs> let's just say how it is mm. um, mostly russia during these times obviously there's not much of a distinction between uh capitalism versus socialism or communism and east versus west it's the same Mm. fucking thing here no no one even knows what they're mad about no one knows what they're talking about just that we hate them yeah communism is just like a boogeyman it doesn't mean anything you just say it and like people know that you're supposed to be scared of this communism is when russia send sputnik to space 
Mm-hmm. Communism is when no phone. Like, no one knows what it is yeah. at all. Um, <laughs> and you shouldn't know what it you is. You shouldn't know what it is. Don't look into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, what are we hating? Communism? Should I learn more about this? Fuck you, no. You're not learning anything about the thing you need to hate. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot more quotes in this fucking book. About... I'm not reading all of them because we'll be here all fucking day. But uh, also about the idea that universities indoctrinate youth with socialist or communist, communist, um, communist values was definitely there in the 50s as well, like I said. Um, there's so many examples that I'm not going to read, but just... There's so many examples I'm not going to read, but just trust me, it's insane. Um, I've gone through a lot this week. Um, so what values are there in Henry, I guess, that would be loathed because they're viewed as intellectual? or And who are the people criticizing him for being one and what happens to him and the rest of society? Uh, because of this, I think, are the questions that we need to ask here. Um, uh, well, the... The satire in this episode comes from just insane exaggerations. Mm-hmm. There's Henry who has an obsession and fixation with reading to the point that it interferes with his life. Yeah. He's just out here like reading what the fuck was it? Like something in his boss's office, like a Yeah, just a random thing, like it <laughs> Yeah. It seems obsessive. It really does, yeah. Um he can't like do his job because he wants to talk about a Dickens novel to like a bank customer mm. which I would love if I went to the fucking bank and the person at the counter was just like have you read this book that I'm reading it's like what no but tell me about it the bank president his boss who's against this so vehemently and like threatens to fire him if he like mentions books again at work he even mm. tells him off for going to read during his lunch like why can't he do what he wants during his lunch no. hour no <laughs> he can leave if he wants during his lunch like do whatever I'm not sure if you can. Like, uh, it depends. Like, contracts in... From a bank, surely. Contracts in the States are weird. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, he can surely read, like, like, or, like, be alone during his lunch. He's a bank teller, not a teacher or a Mm. nurse or something. Like, he can be left alone. Um. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, there's Henry's wife, who they renamed for some reason from the short story. She's Helen here, but she was Agnes in the short story. Hmm. Is it reasoning? Who knows? Um, (laughs) Who, like, she's the funniest character in this because it's such a vendetta. (laughs) She's so evil. Yeah. Why do you think they got married? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Because he's not like a rich man or anything or yeah maybe he had prospects back in the day maybe i mean he does like maybe he's just really good in bed maybe yeah i could see that Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't i'm not gonna elaborate on that um but yeah like she's like it made me laugh out loud when uh henry's describing his wife to the bag president (laughs) and he's like when i try to read the news she snatches it out of my head yeah. It's just so funny. Like, why? It's the news. It's not even... Yeah. I, oh, my God. Something I just realized, about uh, both the bank manager and Helen are taller mm. than Henry. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. Another short king. Hmm. Living. 
for this. Sure you are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but she is snatching papers out of his hand, which is very funny. Um, and she goes so far as to, like, write over or, like, block the text in the poetry book that he tries mm. to bring to, like, a dinner party or, like, a game party with their friends. Keypad. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. That um, was in the 60s and 70s. Mm, <laughs> I mean, you would bring a book of poetry almost to one of those things. Would you? You would. Surely you'd have time. Do you have some. experience in this? No. I do feel like if someone just, like started reciting poetry, it would be... At a key party. Yeah, it would be it would be cool. Like at the start there, just like to make a speech. I don't know. Do you know a... what key parties are, I my do. good man? I, I do. You could do a speech before we get started. Clink a glass. Here's some poetry to get everyone excited. Um, <laughs> 19th century poetry. I'll never come to a key party that <laughs> you are organizing. I have a lot of poetry at home, so I'll invite you. Um, I won't come. <laughs> I, I'm busy. Didn't say what day it was, but okay. But the thing is, though, like, the boss and the wife don't view him as intelligent or as an intellectual. They actively think he's fucking stupid. Mm. <laughs> they, keep, they keep telling him reading is stupid, won't get him anywhere. Uh, the boss calls him a reader, not, like, a smartass or something. Uh, I was thinking about the term egghead. That doesn't mean call him something like that. He just calls him a reader. Um, before he, like, basically tells him that he's a worthless human being. Mm. Uh, in in the next breath. As you do. As you do, yeah, when you're someone's boss. So what this episode has created is is a world so absurd that reading is just dumb um, and a waste of time. Um, I'm sure there's people who have attitudes like that, but it's not, you know... It's oh, not, it's I know not, that they are. It's not like a normal thing to think. It's very extreme. Um, I was especially thinking of the newspapers because... If it was just novels or poetry or something like that, it would be, you know, a different thing. Yeah. But if you aren't, no one has time to read the newspaper. Henry doesn't have time to read the newspaper because he's being fucking abused <laughs> in mm-hmm. his own home. Um, <laughs> and uh, like when you don't read what's going on in the world or acknowledge it, uh, and you don't think about it critically, and nobody in this world seems to, then you are an efficient member of whatever little thing you have to do because mm. there's no like oh the world's falling apart i guess yeah um <laughs> and so then there's the bomb so we finally get to that there's before that there's no time to read um like i said and there's in hofstadter's book again like something about like practicality in american culture versus uh intellectualism like practicality and business versus versus intellectualism and uh he notes that the main reason for stressing anti-intellectualism in business isn't that like business is more anti-intellectual or anything like that than other things but just because it's just the most pervasive thing that's happening in american life and so those two things start to go versus each other mm-hmm. uh, immediately. Um, so this like practicality stems from capitalist industrialism, consumerism, love for new technologies that have, you know, both been per- pervasive in American culture for a couple centuries now. 
Yeah. So these new technologies, like we were talking about with the last episode, was just it's about leaving the past behind because it has nothing to teach us anymore. Yeah. Just moving forward constantly, and so the past. I noticed that all these books that he's reading are from the eighteen hundreds. There's like mm. Dickens. There's the poets. I think they're all from the eighteen hundreds that he's reading. Yeah. He's very into Dick, uh, Dickens, <laughs> and uh, he mentioned Shaw at some point also uh, on the library steps. Um, so what it means for this episode is that there's no reason to read novels about the past because there's, what would they teach us? Like they don't even they don't even have computers. Fuck them. Um, and so, uh, so then, then there's the bomb, like I said. The bomb. <laughs> I keep coming back to the nuke. So there's a lot of things in the newspaper, probably, about this bombing that's gonna happen. Because the article that he reads in the vault is like, advancements in H-bomb technology that could kill us all or whatever the fuck it is. Mm. Um, so even if there is constant news about this, like leading up to it, who the fuck would know? Because no one's reading the newspaper. Yeah. Um, and no one is either, no one's learning from the past either, <laughs> from like, the 40s when they're thinking about these fucking nukes Hmm. um, to infer anything that might happen in the future Um, but they're not even reading in the present uh, because they're so busy and reading is fucking stupid but in the short story they uh, actually like quote some of these articles that Henry's trying to read in his armchair before his wife yells at him Um, and they are uh, okay There's a quote here. Yes, I'm going to read it. Um, He had glanced at the headlines on the first page. Collapse of conference imminent. He didn't have time to read the article. He turned to the second page. Solon predicts war only days away. He flipped through the pages faster, reading brief snatches here and there, afraid to spend too much time on any one item. Hmm. So there's actually (laughs) just news that he doesn't have time to read because he's afraid of his wife. Yeah. Read the newspaper, folks. That's maybe not the news, the news in, in any form. Maybe not the paper. Who gets yeah, the paper? Yeah, paper media is dead. Who gets Except the paper? Except my zine. Mm. When I make a zine, <laughs> you fucking buy it. Paper's dead. I, unless. Unless. <laughs> unless I printed it with my own two hands. <laughs> exactly. Except for this. Did so, you know that I actually studied printing technology at, oh. some, at one point in a vocational school? Did you? I didn't know that. Yeah, a couple of months, then I changed to um, mm. customer service and marketing, and then I quit the school, and oh. then I came to university after having a mental breakdown. But oh. anyhow, enough about me. That's cool. Printing. Yeah. Yeah. It still happens. It's, it happens, yeah. My parents get the paper. They're in their 70s. <laughs> other, other, thing, other things are printed as well. Yeah, I just mean the newspaper, yeah. It's just like inefficient to read because it's like massive. Mm. Mm. But yeah, the world basically ends. Well, not the world, the city or more cities. No one knows. Um, I don't know what kind of damage an H-bomb does. Massive damage, but yeah. anyway. I have no idea um. <laughs> where the like ignition point would have been. Yeah, I've... I don't know. Like, it's not really... Is it uh, inferred that it's a test that's gone horribly wrong? That they just nuke themselves? <laughs> I don't know. I'm... Because the news are all about, like, 
the technology is so good now, like you think yeah. it was about American technology. Yeah, there wasn't anything about, at least I didn't notice about like, mm. the Reds are attacking. Yeah. The Reds are being there wasn't, Yeah, no one says what it was. Yeah, so any... it might just be like, right. we did a test, it don't fucked up. Yeah, and they did a lot of tests during the 50s, um, mm. like early 50s. Um, so, you know, Marshall Islands, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla. The, but yeah, the the world basically ends um, because no one's learning anything about the past, and now there's a nuclear war. Woohoo! Um, well, at least aftermath of yeah. One. And I guess also in a nicer note, reading does save Henry's life, literally, because he's in the vault, fucking reading. Um, but at what cost? So we need everybody to be present and curious and critical of what's going on to not have a new go-off in the middle of the workday, and no one knows about that. So, yeah. That's my takeaway from this. Mm. Read the paper and read poetry at a key party, if necessary. Well, if or just in your is, living room. It is not necessary. Mm. So It is, absolutely. Also... Go to your local library. They do so much. Uh, it's, it's not just books. They do so much for the community. There's groups there. There's things that you, you can go. It's nice. Mm. Free bathroom, if nothing else. So. Yeah, that is actually true. Yeah. It's a good place. Go to the library. Support your local library. Yes. That's the, that's the meaning of this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's literally about to shoot himself in the head, and then there's the public library. So this could happen for you as well. Well, let's hope that you, dear listener, never get to that kind of yeah, point, but... but, uh, it helps. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so, good thing that you're very good at ending your... I am. Go to the local library. Did you potentially have, a, I don't know, sources? I do have sources used. I can list them here. Um, for this, I used, um, like I said, Richard Hofstadter's Anti-Intellectualism in American Life. That's from 1963. My, um, um, computer just made a noise, so that was very (laughs) not clean audio, but you know. I heard that. It's all right. Um, shout out to Richard Hofstadter. Don't know if you're alive anymore. Probably not. Um, Twilight Zone Companion as always, um, and the critical history of the Twilight Zone. Uh, I also used uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, uh, as well as uh, Britannica, and nuclearmuseum.org for some (laughs) of my own research. I didn't quote anything here, but it's interesting, nuclear history, so nuclearmuseum.org, if you want to learn about that. Mm. Right, and what sources I used were... The Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Scott Zikri. Yes. Spaceships and Politics, The Political Theory of Rod Serling by Leslie Dale Feldman. Rationality and Choice in Nick of Time by Aeon J. Scoble. Again, sorry if pronouncing your name wrong. In Philosophy in the Twilight Zone. My Fair Ladies, Female Robots, Androids and Other Artificial Eves by Julia Wosk. The YLE article, He kaikki haluavat sinut, 
by Ilmari Reunamäki. And IMDB for information about people's previous projects. Yes. And if you want some more of us, here is where to find us. You can find us on Instagram and Tumblr at uh, That's Not Fair Pod. And if you'd be so kind, leave us a five star review on your podcast app of choice. Our theme song is a modified version of Loyalty Freak Music's Sad Shaded Head from the album Soft and Furious Late Metamorphoses. But for now, until we meet again in the Twilight Zone.